Marcus Marcus controls the power and wealth of a vast military and religious empire. Yet one horrific crime threatens to destroy everything in his world. Addled by drugs and grief, Marcus Marcus begins a trans-dimensional journey that will ultimately force him to confront a dark and devastating truth. Chapter 60 What Was Learned We must have looked like one of the gaudier examples of religious iconography. The kneeling prince praying over the wounded hero, while an augur held their hands together, and all round splashes of scarlet glittered like wine, like rubies, like the blazing heart of a great oak log fire. It was all real though, with witnesses enough to disabuse any doubters and naysayers. However, though the witnesses saw what unfolded, they did not hear the words spoken by Kokani and me, their ears being filled with the sweet high singing of the broken bramlet. Only Kokani heard the dreadful oath I whispered, and only he knew how debased and powerless I was before the absoluteness of his creed and his position. I not only suffered a terrible hatred, but trembled with an awful fear. What if Talab did not recover, and I had abandoned my wife's soul for nothing? The flight commander groaned, and her eyes moved, but she was still unconscious, and though her heart was pumping blood again, her blood did not cascade through her body, but gushed still wasted and useless out of that vile wound. Kokani pressed Talav's hand onto mine. My hand pushed ever deeper into the softness of Talav's breast. Her blood spat up angrily between my fingers, dousing my hand and arms and spattering into my mouth as I prayed. And the blood spat and spurted no more. I stopped praying and lifted my head up. Talav was motionless. Kokani released his grip, but Talav's hand did not slip off mine, but lay my hand heavy and still. Then, incredibly, I felt her fingers move weakly. I gasped with joy. She lives, I cried. As if a switch had been pulled, Bramlant ceased his song. I turned my hand around to gently hold Talav's and saw that the wound in her breast had closed. If Kokani saw this, he made no remark. Instead, he stood and addressed the others. The prayers of our devout saging prince have brought flight commander Talav back from the edge of death. Her condition remains perilous, but there is hope where before there was none. He paused as the door to the room opened. I looked up and saw Officer Sternbridge enter, accompanied by two red-eyed robots carrying a life support crib. Sternbridge's face paled as he took in the gory scene, but each robot's face remained implacable and halved. Sternbridge knelt beside me and took Talav's hand. He placed it gently on her breast, 
then looked at me, but seemed unable to express himself. Take her to the medbay, I said softly. Look after her. Sternbridge nodded. I pushed myself up and let Sternbridge and the robots do their work. I stood silently beside Cockhanny as the barely living Talav was taken from the room. Ifdek broke the silence. Pushing his chair back, he stood up and ordered, All stand for His Excellency. Admiral Jack stood first. Zanotto and Jones struggled to get Bramlett to stand. Cockani went to help them. Between them, they managed to get Bramlett's crooked frame upright. I could have easily let Bramlett sit, but would only have done so if asked by Cockani, and Cockani did not ask. The holographic candle was gone, and overhead bright lights functioned properly. There were no more ghosts, no more manifestations of the immortal and of the divine. But I, dripping blood from head to toe, stood there as living and sovereign proof of the power of the divinities. As carbon hardens iron into steel, so fear had hardened my hatred to create an unbreakable and bloody-minded certitude. When I spoke, it was with words wrought through with the power of my ancient family. I spoke, and the first half of my reign closed, and the second bloodier half began. I did not waste time with any preamble. I have been to earth, divine, eternal, and sacred earth. And though all I saw of it was the realm of Melchrisha, still I count myself blessed that I have been to earth. Why did I make such a hazardous journey? Why did I agree to the perilous undertaking that is the ritual of invocation of the eternal and the eternal? The answer you all know. The peace that benefited every subject that lived within sage and territories was suddenly and inexplicably threatened with catastrophe. During my visit to Glake City, to mark the anniversary of my coming to power, a savage act of terrorism caused appalling casualties. Later, the sacred swan nameless that lived by the temple of the Queen of the Universe at the very heart of my realm, suffered a violent death. The instrument of its death was my own sabre, which I once wielded in bloody warfare. The sacred creature's death and the manner of its death can only embolden the enemies on our borders and the traitors within our borders. Added to and amplifying that desperate peril is the folly of an augur who dared to curse one of my troop ships, even as my brave troopers made ready to cross the starways to go fight my enemies. Now the troop carrier Omniblade is lost in hyperspace, and the sacred swan lies decapitated mere yards from the palace that is my home and my solace. How could this be? 
What had I or my subjects done to deserve this? And how should it be resolved? None knew, and catastrophe closed around us as tight as a hangman's noose. So I took the blade and spilled my blood and travelled to the realm of Melkarisha to seek wisdom. I suffered much there. I encountered demons and monstrosities. I bore witness to foulness and savagery. I fought battles. I won victories and suffered awful defeat. I have been pierced by thorns and racked by shame and guilt and boundless grief. And only by the actions of loyal Talav was I returned to you. And what have I learned from all of this? I have learned I do not know whether Melkarisha is evil or benign. I do not know where he stands in relation to his fellow divinities. Nor do I know the will or the thoughts of those divinities. I only know that I, as a mortal, must never presume to guess the plans or dreams of the divine. That mortal presumption is an impiety worse than denial or atheism. It is worse by far than the heretical belief in a visible earth. I learn that all we mortals can do is respect the divinities and act in a manner that honours and pays tribute to their august and immeasurable majesties. It is not for us to judge what the divinities would do, but rather that we live the best life that we can and let the divinities judge us at the end of our days. Having come to this understanding, I have made the following resolutions. I paused. Silently, I weighed words carefully up in my mind. What I had to say next would make or break my kingdom. As I considered the implication of each phrase and syllable, I looked down at my hands and wondered if they would ever again be free of blood and gore. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marcus Marcus. The bin lorry's just drawn up outside there. It's all very exciting over here. And they've gone. That's the excitement over. Um, yes, thank you for listening to the story. It means a lot to me that you are tuning in. Um, mind rate and review. Past over done. To your friends, your family, and even your ancient enemies. You can support the show by donating the price of a coffee to my coffee fund. It's in the episode notes. If you want to know my future plans, follow me on Instagram. And please look after yourself and look after those around you. And be kind and be patient with others and with yourself. Alright, till next time, stay tuned.